Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of the story, we will discuss the reality of being Black in medicine. While difficult situations are not guaranteed for minorities in medicine, they are very common and deserve a space on this platform as we work to make medicine more diverse and welcoming for those of all backgrounds and life experiences. Stay tuned to hear our thoughts and how we can change the culture in medicine together. We've enjoyed inviting Black physicians from various specialties to our podcast this season. However, it's hard to miss the recurring theme that surfaces from their stories the inerrant understanding of how rare we are within the field and how we desire to fix the multi-tiered problem. African-Americans make up nearly 13% of the population while representing only 5% of the physicians in this country. Have you had experiences where this was palpable? I think we all have. I mean, just noticing how few African-American physicians are around when you are in the hospitals walking around For example, I know myself as well as Dr. Latanya did medical school in Memphis. I did training in Memphis, which is a largely African-American city. However, you know, you just didn't see nearly as many African-American physicians as you would expect in a city with a much larger population of African-Americans. And so that obviously was very obvious. And then the patients noticed when they encountered an African-American physician, often we would get, you know, high fives and I'm proud of you and all of that when we took care of patients. And it's because they know they don't see it very often and the majority of their physicians don't look like them. And it's very hard, especially in the specialties, to find African-American physicians who are trained in those things. So I think the 5% number, I think the patients would agree with that number. They experience it, or if not less, in their experience. And then we also see it as well in the communities of physicians that we work around and that we train around. Yeah, very true. I think we all have experiences where we have been in the room or on the team and been the only brown face in the room. And bringing with that all of the experiences that come along with that. And then also, I know we've all had experiences because we've talked about them, of how we've interacted with patients of color and they want to know what we think. And we may not have been the most senior physicians in the room. Sometimes we may have been in the role of the medical student or the resident, but a lot of times those patients want to know what we think about how they're doing or what we would recommend for them specifically. And I think that speaks volumes. And so really just trying to change that narrative and change that story so that we aren't so rare. People look at us and they see us kind of as unicorns. And it would be my hope that we would be able to change that and that we wouldn't be so rare overall. Yeah, same here. I think there were definitely situations in my training where I was one of a handful of African-American physicians that were within the program that I participated in. And I agree with Dr. Latanya and Dr. Kimberly that there were instances where patients really do speak up about how important it is to see somebody that looks like them that is participating in their care because they see us as a trusted source of information. And I think that's something that we feel when we're taking care of patients, especially in the room, but then also outside of the room. A lot of patients may not know this, but 
even outside of the room when we're discussing their care, we can bring a unique aspect to their care that is sometimes overlooked. I think the fact that we only make up a small percentage of the physician workforce is a big deal and something that we need to change because it ultimately helps us provide better care to the patients that we serve. Do either of you recall any experiences in medical training that stood out? How much time do we have? Because there are numerous experiences in my medical training that stood out for me. Number one, being called the N-word by one of my classmates and nothing being done about it. Number two, sitting through a lecture of one of the OBGYN faculty members where this person talked about the increased teen pregnancy rate in young Black girls because they were so promiscuous. Another episode where one of my classmates who was a Black male, he forgot his ID to be able to badge into the building when we were going for class. And somebody that sat relatively close to him in class. I mean, I think we were second years and this person wouldn't let him into the building because she didn't identify him as being one of our classmates, which, you know, our class size was 165, but like we sat in the same area of the class. So that was pretty, you know, just kind of shocking, actually. So all of those different scenarios, of course, they played a role in my medical school experience. Well, I mean, I can't say I was called the N-word to my face because that would have changed the whole environment. But of course, had experiences in residency where patients and their family members were very clear that they didn't want a Black doctor taking care of them. That was obviously not shocking, but just the way that we're raised and our experiences throughout growing up as African-Americans, growing up in Mississippi, you kind of know that this stuff exists out there. But it was one of those situations where the most that I learned from that experience was watching the reactions of the people who knew me in the room when that happened and my attending and making an assessment on the truthfulness of whether they're an ally or not based on their response. And so that was probably more informative for me than anything else in that circumstance. My reaction wasn't informative. I was going to react the way I was going to react, but everyone else's reaction, particularly since everyone else in the room was white, I think was most informative to me about who to trust and who has my back. That was informative for me in that experience. I remember in training there, what didn't happen specifically to me, but I remember one of my colleagues had experiences where patients didn't want to receive care from them because they were Black or said things that were not appropriate. And I think like Dr. Kimberly mentioned, the most important part was really what was done about the situation from a program and institutional standpoint, because it really does show where their investment lies It's very easy to sweep things like that under the rug because they're uncomfortable situations to discuss and flesh out, even if it's something where we as physicians or physicians in training are providing a service that doesn't mean that we are immune to the things that happen in our society. I think the fact that the institution kind of stood up in a lot of ways and made it clear that that type of behavior wasn't acceptable and in some ways kind of dealt with it in real time as well as after the fact to try to make sure it didn't happen again was telling. 
you know, could there be more done? There's always, you know, more that could be done. But I think even naming the issue and doing something about it in that moment is more important because it lets the people involved directly know that you have their back and that you're invested in them. It can be very isolating being one of the lower people on the totem pole and you have this kind of thing happen to you and you feel kind of powerless to change it. And you're looking at people that are in more senior roles or have more authority to see, hey, are you going to back me up in this? I'm fortunate that I was in a program that did that. But again, more work definitely can be done. Yeah. And I'll just chime in here and say the difference in the time period from when we were in medical school and in training is anywhere from five to about 12 years. So I was in medical school in a residency in the early 2000s. So now sitting here about 20 years ago. And while we were in a time where a lot of people seem to think we were in a post-racial society, understand that the reactions that people of the majority status had when I experienced those things were quite different. A lot of times they were ignored. And so we had to really kind of handle those things among ourselves. Like as students, we used each other and residents, we had each other as support systems because the faculty did not really have our backs. And so I think that it just shows that there's been a lot of progress that we've made here over time and just even bringing awareness that something needs to change about it. So we've hinted at this in discussions with our previous guests, but what do y'all think caused the disparity in having fewer African-Americans represented in the physician workforce? And then what thoughts do you have about how it can be improved? So many thoughts. Again, I just don't think we have enough time in this episode to really go deep into everything. You know, number one, we talked about less than 5% of physicians in this country are Black. That means that little Black boys and little Black girls often don't see Black physicians. And so if you can't see it, then you don't think that you can achieve it. That's the biggest thing. And so that's one reason I think that we push for increased medical workforce diversity. And then also just individuals not having knowledge or resources about how to enter the field. I know for me, I just had this dream that was in my heart that I wanted to be a doctor. I had no clue of how I would get there. I remember going through the application process and reaching out to people to get instructions on how to do it, but I didn't exactly know how to do it. I remember my first time going into the hospital and not even really knowing where the medical charts were. Of course, this was before electronic health record where all the medical records were in a paper chart, but I didn't even know how to find that. And that just wasn't the reality for my white counterparts. Like they knew what was going on. They had been in the hospital. They may have had parents who were physicians or they shadowed individuals who were physicians. So they knew how to navigate that space. And I had no clue. And then I think we also have to talk about the support systems that we have in local schools and universities. 
there are a lot of people who are supposed to be counselors and teachers who are really discouraging to students of color who tell them that they aren't going to make it or that they should choose something else. I think we talked about in a previous episode that that had happened with Dr. Kimberly and how upset I was about it and how I went to the parent-teacher conference. But yeah, so, you know, there are so many things that are causing us to have a lack of Black students who desire to go into medicine. But I'll pause and let you guys kind of chime in for some other things. I think, too, it's important, you know, obviously everything that Dr. Latanya just mentioned is relevant and true. Also, there is something within the mind of young people, and this isn't race specific or ethnicity specific, but it is very difficult to encourage someone who's younger to play the long game. And that's what medicine is when it comes to success and attaining what you want. There are some fields or careers that you can go into that's a a much shorter process to arise. And those fields are good and there's nothing wrong with them, but medicine is a long haul. It is a lot of long hours in order to attain this level of knowledge and education and experience that will put you in the best position to care for people and take people's lives into your hands. But, you know, our culture as a nation really strives after kind of the quick rise to success. And medicine just isn't that. But I think that if in our upbringing and all of that, we can learn that it's also good. It's not wrong to desire those fields that take some time to really get to a position of success in. And I think that can also drive younger students to want to go into medicine and not just for the prestige, but Because it does come with that. There is a prestige that comes with being a physician, but just wanting kind of that career that really gives you that sense of doing something every day that affects someone's life or affects multiple people's lives. But it is a long haul. And that means that five years after you leave high school, you're not there, you know, like you're barely started. That's tough, too, I think. And that definitely makes a difference when it comes to who actually pursues these types of careers. Well, I think that also highlights the importance of mentorship and support along the way, because everybody knows that it's a lot of people that enter college that want to go into the field of medicine and being a physician. But then over the years, the numbers dwindle for a multitude of reasons. I feel like if students had more mentorship and more encouragement, even early on in the process, that will help push them forward to try to get at least through the first hurdle of getting through those prerequisites and get into the application of getting into medical school. Then it's like, unfortunately, this kind of revolving door where it's like multiple levels where you have to kind of keep pushing, keep pushing. And then you got another hurdle and keep pushing and keep pushing. So I definitely hear Dr. Kimberly's sentiments about how this is definitely a long haul type of profession, but it is one that's rewarding. These pipeline programs, one of which that I was a part of, are very key because it removes additional barriers that could prevent or hinder Black students from even getting to that first hurdle. 
something that is, you know, kind of a labor of love or good burden that's put on Black physicians like us that have completed our training and is looking back and seeing these problems, going back into the communities or programs or schools that we went through and try to encourage other students that are earlier on in their education and in their careers and try to help them move forward. Because like I said, the support is definitely needed to get you to move beyond each hurdle. There are so many things that I didn't have to experience because Dr. Latanya and Dr. Kimberly kind of gave me the heads up before I got to them that I know they didn't have because they didn't have a Dr. Latanya or Dr. Kimberly to help them navigate these kind of early pitfalls that can happen. So I'm a testament of how important mentorship and support in various forms can be on this journey. So for those out there listening that are interested in a career in medicine, that arguably is one of the most important things. Having someone on the inside that knows the process and knows how things work, giving you the play by play so that you know where you need to go and what's your strategy, because a lot of it is strategic planning. We talked a little bit about the disparity and we talked a little bit about HBCU involvement and how HBCUs really help students along in that journey. But I think we also have to go back and talk about history. I don't know how many people who are listening have actually heard about the Flexner report where this guy, Abraham Flexner, who was not a physician, went out and evaluated and surveyed all of these colleges and universities and medical schools. And basically, there were a number of Black medical schools that existed in this country at that time. I want to say the number was around 100. And after Flexner went around throughout the country and evaluated these schools, he said that they were subpar. And so when we talk about subpar, I think we have to also recognize the racial undertones of that and how for a number of us who are HBCU graduates, we also experience that too, even with our undergraduate training, where our undergraduate credentials are viewed as less than And so understand that this was also happening for these medical schools that may not have had funding, um, that may have been a lot of local physicians that were getting together to educate Black students because in many instances they weren't able to attend other colleges and universities. You know, let us be clear, it has been within the past 50 years, 50 to 60 years, where they have even started admitting Black students to a number of medical schools. And so when we talk about 5% of physicians in this country being Black understand that there were roadblocks. Like even if we had more than 5% of Black folks who wanted to become physicians, they weren't able to go to schools because a number of these schools were closed down. And so I think we also have to talk about that. So right now we're working and attempting to kind of catch up. And that's why we're talking about this. What we also have to recognize is that we have a really long way to go. So just thinking about the history and not just saying, oh, there's a disparity, like there is a reason that this disparity exists and it's structural. And it was created in the very creation of this country, uh, regardless of what many may think about it. And so shifting gears here, 
we talked about kind of the medical school stage. What are your thoughts? Does this stop at the residency and trainee stage? How do we increase and amplify Black voices within our residency and throughout our careers? Well, I think some of it starts with there being value placed on increasing diversity within programs. By that meaning, increasing the number of Black trainees that there are in a program, but also how many attending physicians that are Black within the program as well. Again, I know that we only make up a small percentage of the physician workforce, but there needs to be an investment in changing that and increasing that within programs. A lot of times these African-American physicians in academic positions typically end up being the point people for diversity initiatives and are invested in trying to push forward the goal of increasing diversity. So they're not the only ones there, but it's a heavy lift for one person or even a handful of people. That's why it needs to be a program and an institutional investment in giving Black physicians a platform so that they can recruit more within the programs and within the fields. That's an issue in itself because increasing Black physicians in academia, I know there's been a lot of talk on social media about how a lot of Black physicians are actually leaving academia for various reasons. But I think that there's still a role for Black physicians there because you need mentorship throughout your training as well as in your career. Again, it's a multitude of reasons why a lot of Black physicians don't go into academic positions, you know, whether it be financial or otherwise. A lot of Black physicians end up leaving medical school and that kind of thing with lots of student loan debt. And unfortunately, a lot of academic positions don't afford the types of salaries that you can find in private practice or in industries. That's another topic for another day, but I think that the recruitment of Black positions into academic spaces shouldn't stop just because that's a barrier. There should be an active search for African-American physicians that are interested in impacting the future of medicine in that way in order to increase Black physicians that come along in the pipeline. Another great way to amplify voices of African-American trainees is by asking their opinion. I think that's oftentimes, especially nowadays in the last few years, since there's been this push towards DEI, whether it's legitimate or for show, to be completely honest, I think the best way to know how to affect the experiences of African-American trainees is by asking them what their experiences are in a way that's genuine and in a way that is looking for an opportunity to actually make a difference in their experiences and not expecting African-American trainees to be on the front lines of solving either your problem with diversity in your program, because that's what we call a diversity tax. If we have to do the work in order to fix your problem. And we've been doing that for 400 years, right? (laughs) I'm like, we've been doing the work, you know, to fix the issues that come along for the majority. And so in that regard, the heavy lift has to come on the backs of not of those people who are struggling to get through it, but on the ones who are simply floating through it if they actually have an interest. If you ask my opinion on how to amplify voices of African-American physicians, that would be the primary way. Now, there has, as I just 
spoke about been kind of somewhat of a push in the last couple of years on social media to get voices of African-American students, trainees, and other physicians, you know, to talk about their experiences with being African-American in medicine and some of the struggles that come with that. So what are your thoughts about this, this change in environment that's happened? Well, one of the things that I will say is that I think that it's great that we're having these conversations right now. The students, the residents, and even the practicing physicians now, you know, there's a platform to be able to express those feelings. I think one of the main things medical institutions can do, like Dr. Kimberly said, was to not only ask people their opinions, but ask them what they need and then really put forth an honest effort to be able to meet those needs. For a number of the medical students and medical trainees, they're having these experiences. They are unsure of how to feel about those experiences. They are angry. They are upset. They are also feeling very discouraged in many instances about the way that medicine is going. It is the responsibility of these medical schools and medical institution administrators to really help to change the scene in many instances, whether that is having conversations about implicit biases, whether that is speaking explicitly about the biases that individuals are having. All of those things are extremely important. And I think that there have been many instances where I've interacted with medical students and medical trainees to And they've said, I would like to hear an acknowledgement that my medical school administrators or residency program directors or hospital administrators say, "Okay, yes, I understand that this has happened and it's wrong. And so let us try to fix it. Or what is it that you would need? I mean, part of that is asking us to do some of the work. So in essence, that diversity tax. But at many times you don't know what individuals need in that moment unless you ask them what their needs are. I think since the pandemic has created more isolation or had created a lot of isolation, people look to social media as an outlet to voice their opinions and experiences and concerns, particularly in medicine in ways that it hadn't been discussed before, especially for Black students, trainees, and physicians. This kind of brought to light a lot of, I mean, we knew about it. Like, it's not things that were new. I think it was just being more vocal about things that had been happening. And it just gained a lot more traction and a lot more attention because instead of it being said in circles where everybody looked the same, now this is something being said outright where everybody can see and it's something that we kind of have to deal with or figure out how we address these issues that are clearly affecting this already disparaged, in a lot of ways, disadvantaged population of physicians. You know, I don't think that was a bad thing that it gave Black physicians and students an outlet in a time where social interaction wasn't what it had been. But I think that there are also, unfortunately, some downsides to, you know, being that kind of vocal about these kind of things. 
Even some of our guests that have been on our platform have said even minor statements about situations that they encountered just in their daily life practicing medicine. They ended up receiving like backlash from others online about talking about their experience or about them commenting on their lived experiences, which is problematic. I think in a lot of ways it was a good outlet, but then it brought other issues up that hadn't been as as outright. You know, I really think that we can continue this conversation for hours and hours. I think we all have a lot more that we could share on this episode and a lot more experiences that we've had. We've all had a lot of personal experiences. Either of you all want to share any personal experiences that may have been similar to some of the ones that we've seen on social media in our final thoughts? My personal experience came from, you know, just experiencing some of those inappropriate type things that can occur. I was a resident and one of my attendings walked up behind me. I, I normally wore my hair straight for a few years. I didn't wear it in an Afro, but finally decided to wear an Afro. And I did so this particular day. And I guess this was the first time that attending saw me with the Afro. And this attending came up behind me and like patted my Afro, of course, which is like for real. You know, so I, of course, turned around in anger because that's not appropriate. You know, like you don't touch somebody else's hair, like especially not black woman's hair. You definitely don't touch our hair. And obviously we exchanged some words, I think, that made it very clear that that was inappropriate. But that was a risk for me. Right. Like actually being forthright about how that wasn't right was risky. He could have responded in a very negative way. I think he was more ashamed than anything for having missteps. But, and it may have just been because I'm a surgeon. And so we tend to be very direct with each other when we talk. There's not a lot of beating around the bush. It's just very much you say what you think and move on from it. But that was, you know, one kind of personal experience, which was just very uncomfortable and inappropriate that wouldn't likely have happened to a white girl. You know, that would have been obviously inappropriate to put your hands through a white girl's hair. But for whatever reason, this person thought it was fine in my circumstance, which is what had to be corrected. Yeah, Dr. Kimberly, thanks for sharing that about the story about touching your hair. You know, one of the experiences I had was I remember being a resident and being on a team uh, with all other white residents. There were two males, one female, and our workroom was in this area on one of the hospital floors. And the unit secretary, who also happened to be white, would come in every day and she would speak to all of the other physicians. Hi, Dr. So-and-so. Hi, Dr. So-and-so. Hi, Dr. So-and-so. And when she would get to me, she would say, hi, Miss Washington. You know, I noticed it immediately when it happened. And so one of my upper level residents the lady was about to come in on her normal little thing. And I said, hey, you know, watch she come in here and she's going to refer to all of you guys as physicians, as doctor. And she's going to call me miss. I was like, just watch. And he was like, really? She does. I was like, no, she's been doing it every day since we started this rotation. And we were a couple of weeks in. And so she did it on this day. And I said, see, I told you. And this guy, this white guy actually brought it to her attention. And he said, excuse me, why is it that you come here every day? 
And you refer to all of us as doctors, but you don't refer to Dr. Washington as a doctor and you call her miss. And he said, you know, I just noticed that. And he was like, you know, that's not right. You should refer to her as Dr. Washington, too, because we are all in this room. All of us are physicians. And she became so flustered, but he called her out and she quickly corrected it. And I didn't have that issue anymore for the rest of that rotation. But just the fact that that was happening. And for me, had I been the one to be vocal about that, I think I would have been viewed negatively. Oh, she's a resident. Why is she demanding that someone call her doctor? Of course, they always make it out to say that we are being aggressive and inflexible and what have you. But clearly that was her bias. She refused to refer to me by my earned title. So that was just one of the things that came to mind when we were talking about that. It's funny you bring that story up. (laughs) I actually have a funny one in our ER area where we worked. There was a woman who (laughs) is a secretary. And I mean, she was really boisterous and she's African-American. Wonderful lady, really had just the best attitude about work and coming to work. It was a pleasure working with her. I did a lot of time down in that ER as a resident and in similar fashion, just without noticing it myself, her desk was right by mine, like across from mine, where I would sit and review CTs and do orders and all of the things. And one day, I don't know, it was a couple months into my time in the ER at that time, I overheard her say on the phone, now the next time you call here, when you want to speak with Dr. Washington, you call her Dr. Washington. You call all these other people by doctor, but you never say doctor when you call her. Now, who do you want to speak with? (laughs) And then a couple seconds later, she says, hold on. And she says, Dr. Washington, such and such is on the phone for you. And I just, it, I had to laugh so hard, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where you just can't help but realize when you had someone who kind of had your back to really force the issue of getting you the respect that you worked for. And it, it lifted my spirits despite being on call for 24 hours, you know, whatnot, just at that moment, just knowing that there was someone who kind of had my back. Definitely had similar experiences to that where, you know, others have referred to my co-residents in a way that was, you know, similar to how they respond to the attendings. But then I was different. It was nice to have that that support. And and shout out to the elders because they are going to make people respect you. Yeah. Uh, In your title. They are proud of what we had accomplished. I had a, a scenario like that as well, where one of the medical assistants when I was in residency, in residency, we, you know, kind of the first few months, people would return their pages and they wouldn't say, hi, this is Dr. So-and-so returning a page. They say, hi, this is Latanya Washington returning a page. And so I was doing that. Hi, this is Latanya Washington returning a page. And they like, who is Latanya Washington? Whatever. One of the medical assistants, this older black guy, he was like, when you answer that phone, you say, this is Dr. Washington returning a page. And how can I help you? They need to know. They need to recognize who you are when you are on the phone. He said, don't let me hear you talking about no Latanya Washington returning a page. You are Dr. Washington. Make them respect you. You earn that. And so from then on, even to this day, when I answer the phone, hi, this is Dr. Washington. And that was all the way from back in the day, like, you know, my first few months of residency. 
there are definitely allies in the healthcare space that may not even be within our training programs that really help uplift us in those times when the hospital can get rough. Tagging in patients as well, because Black patients, like we've mentioned before, that'll be super proud of us. Like they'll yell out like, hey, Dr. Washington down the hallway or, oh, that's Dr. Washington when their family members come in. Those are times that kind of make us honored to have worked hard and earned the title of doctor. But that also serves as a source of pride for the patients and other staff and stuff that we work around and work with because they want to make sure we get the same respect as well. So definitely shout out to all the people that have done that. Well, I know this was a heavy episode, mainly because it was stirring up some experiences that we've had in the past. But unfortunately, these are shared experiences that many African-American medical students, residents, and even onward into practice can say that they also have shared in in one way or another. Some of our stories pale in comparison to what some of our colleagues have experienced. Thank you for tuning into this episode and listening to these stories by giving us the platform and your ears to hear it. In some ways, hopefully, it will mean that others may not experience these things in your presence. Please like, share, and repost this podcast episode on social media. And don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Tune in as we begin to wind down season two of our podcast with only two episodes left. Thank you all for your support over the last two years. And until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native on his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I believe that it's gone.